Hey everyone, it is Tuesday and you know what that means. It means that we are hosting a new conversation on the Inbuilt Company podcast and I am your host, Christina Gonzalez-Sander. So if you're new here, welcome. I'm glad to have you. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, also still glad to have you. Every Tuesday, I host No BS Conversations with women of color about the intersections of race, identity, and our cultural upbringings with, well, everything else. So today's topic is finance. I know that this year has been fucking nuts, and (laughs) it has been a long-ass year filled with so much uncertainty financially for your jobs just like life, where you're living, all of these things have just gotten like thrown up in the air and are swirling around. And I don't know if anyone's gotten, you know, their feet back on the ground, as you would say. But our guest today is here to talk to us about how we can look forward to 2021, thinking about our money situation, right? Like, what can we do about our financial situation, which has been super crazy this year. And so I'm excited, especially with the holidays coming around, like gifts, what do we do? We wanna support businesses, small businesses and the people in our community, but like maybe you don't have money. And like, these are all things that we're gonna talk about and just some basic finance 101 with Kara. So like I said, today's guest is Kara Perez and she is the founder of Bravely Go, a feminist financial education company, helping you get better with money. And I, want to take a little bit of extra time to talk to y'all before we dive into the episode because this is actually something we've never talked about is like what is the definition of being a woman of color and the beginning of this conversation with Kara sparks this question to you right like what's the definition of a woman of color how do you identify as a woman of color maybe you don't actually identify with that label you know maybe that's like not the label that you want or maybe people think that you're that but you don't you don't like that phrasing and I totally get it, right? The awesome things about words is like words evolve over time and we can choose which words apply to us. And I know sometimes other people choose for us, but that's a different conversation. But I, I wanted to talk a little bit about what the definition of a woman of color is. And while a simple Google search will tell you that the definition is quote unquote, not white, which totally, yes. I think it's super interesting to talk about like how you identify as an individual, right? Because so Kara's going to come on and I ask her about how she identifies as a woman of color and she actually says that she doesn't. And that's totally okay because she identifies as being Latina, biracial. She's half Dominican and half white, but she considers herself to be white. And I had never thought about that, you know, like to me, I'm like, oh, you're biracial. Like, I'm just going to assume that you fit this label of woman of color. And she was like, I actually don't necessarily identify with that. And while I'm going to have a longer conversation about this on a podcast episode, because it is so intriguing to me, I did link a couple of things in the show notes that I would love for y'all to check out around this idea and this conversation topic. And honestly, I would love to know what you think. Like, should we talk about this? Should I talk to someone about this? What do you guys want to hear? Anyway, I hope that that's not like a crazy tangent (laughs) before we dive into the episode, but we're going to get into it. Kara's going to share a lot about her like opinion on the world and how we can care for the world from a financial standpoint, which is hella awesome. That means like donating type stuff, you know, like how do you use your money to create good in the world along with some of the finance 101 that I was talking about, like looking at debt, figuring out how to actually be on a budget, looking at your money and relating it to your personal values. That's something that we're going to talk about in this episode too. But sit on the question I asked you earlier about the definition of a woman of color and how you identify with that. And I would love to hear from you. So slide into my DMs and let's get into the episode. How have you been during these past couple of months? You know, it has been nothing short of a roller coaster. <laughs> I will say like when March, April, May, I was doing great, actually. I was like 
this is fine. We have a plan. We're executing the plan. I'm able to work from home. It's okay. Summer, I was like, this sucks. (laughs) And I'm depressed. And now we've kind of served, I'm like, it's fine. I mean, it's not fine. It's not fine, but like I'm fine is where I'm at now. I feel the same way. I feel like it was like when it first hit, you know, my full-time job, I'm in the event industry. So I was like, wow, this really sucks. But then I was kind of like, okay, like I'm working from home. It's not like, okay, we can, we can do this. You know, I was like, all right, all right. And then summer hit for me too. I was like, whoa. Well, man, I'm hitting the low here. I'm struggling real hard. Like July, I thought I was like, I'm melting. melting. Yeah. I feel like, especially for those of us in really hot places, not being able to go swimming, to go to cooler, like normally I don't spend the <laughs> summer so in Austin. <laughs> I'm like, deuces, I'm going someplace cooler. And to just be stuck predominantly inside was rough. And I like, that's how I feel. It must be so tough for people in colder climates now as we enter the winter mm-hmm. where they're like, it's dark, it's cold. Oh, shit. You know, like it's they're just like, mm-hmm. can't leave my house. But yeah. yeah, no, when Barton Springs was closed all summer and when they finally reopened, I remember I got there and it was closed that day, <laughs> of course, No, <laughs> for cleaning. And I was like, fuck. And so my friend and I went to Deep Eddie and they were like, okay, you can come here, but you can only do laps. And I was like, I don't care. I'll do laps all day long. Just <laughs> I'm swimming, baby. Just put me in the water. I like, you know, you just wanted to be outside and do something else other than walk around the block. That's all I've been doing. A lot of walking. Same. Laps. Just so many yes. laps around my neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> same all the time. Well, thank you so much for coming on. As you, I hope you know, I have been a super admirer since the time that I called you in the beginning of 2018. I think I did like a free 30 minute consultation. This was like way back when. And I was like, Kara, my finances are fucked up. And you were like, okay, (laughs) let me consult with you a little bit. And I was like, who are you? You're like a godsend. And I don't know. Did you start in 2017, 2018? January, 2017. Okay. So by this point that I talked to you and met you, you were like already a year into everything and you have grown so much from my standpoint of watching you the past couple of years and also being an avid listener to your podcast, Fair Sense, which is one of my favorite ones ever. Truly wow, a favor. Damn. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I just feel like I learned so much on that podcast with you guys. And I like feel like I'm listening to a friend talk because like it's you talking and it makes yeah, me we're laugh. friends. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, <laughs> like, and it makes me laugh. So yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm just so grateful to have you on here. And I would love for other people to kind of know a little bit more about you and what you do and how you help women with their finances. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for being such a big supporter. Yeah. So I own Bravely Go, which I describe as a feminist financial education company. And the word feminist can like scare people off. But really what it means is that we talk about the full picture of money. So that means we talk about things like the wage gap. We talk about things like the racial wealth gap. We talk about debt and bias. Because if you're not talking about these things, you really aren't able to give people the best possible help. If you're just saying, you know, everyone should save 20% of their income for retirement, and you're not taking into the fact that like women make up the majority of minimum wage workers and they can't save 20%, it's like, mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're not helping those people. So uh, yeah, we've been in business since 2017. It feels like forever, but also it feels like oh, we're such a baby company. And I say we, but it's just me. So, <laughs> it's I love just, it. Keep using we though. It's I do that all the time. You know? Yeah. I'm like, we, <laughs> me and my brain and my right. fingers at the keyboard, like making memes and stuff. Oh my gosh. I just You're made a meme this morning for my boyfriend came to me and he was like, his company is getting onto Instagram. And he was like, oh. can you review my Instagram post? And it was terrible. <laughs> I was like, make a meme, boo, make a meme. <laughs> You're like, please, I, you know, I'm going to admit this, but I did, I Googled once 
very recently. How do I make a meme? Because mm, mm. I didn't know. I was like, how do you make a meme? My husband was like, dude, just make it. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And I asked one of my best friends who does social and she was like, LOL, really? <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. Like how people make it memes. So anyway, I will say that your meme game is also super on point. And if anyone follows you, they know what I'm talking about. <laughs> your one, what is the one that you just posted about Biden? Was oh, that the one? That's like real. It's real. It's real, but yeah, that one's done well. But I did have a meme, a Cardi B meme, that has done very well. People have seemed to respond very well. I mean, Cardi B is <laughs> how are you not going to like Cardi B? You know, <laughs> I don't know. It's good. Good meme content. Good meme. Great content. meme content. <laughs> Love it. Well, okay. So part of like what we talk about on the podcast is like women of color and like how you identify as a woman of color, what it was like for you growing up. I've heard you talk a lot about this before in like various settings, but I would love to hear like your perspective. Like what was it like for you growing up? Yeah. I thought a lot about this question before we hopped on here because I'm very white. (laughs) I am so white. And looking at me, no one ever thinks, oh, she's She's Latina. Like she's definitely like no one no one has ever thought that if you just look at me. So for me, I don't identify as a woman of color. I identify as biracial. And that was really uncomfortable for me growing up because my parents are divorced and my dad is from Dominican Republic and I grew up with my mom who's white mm-hmm. and being so white myself growing up with my white mom, she wasn't like, so let's dive into Dominican culture and <laughs> like let's explore this and I felt very divorced from that part of my heritage for Mm -hmm. a very long time, but also very anxious to claim it. And that was a tension that has been throughout my life until I would say in the last like two years, I finally feel like I've found my lane around where I want to operate in the like women of color space, which for me is very much so being like, I come to this space as a white person experiencing a white life, but with like, a pass. (laughs) Almost. I think it was like a little card in my wallet to be like, I want to be operating in these spaces and talking to these people, but I also want to be wildly and deeply aware of all the privilege that I have in my life. Mm -hmm. And to know that I can't speak to certain experiences that many other women of color can speak to. And my role is to amplify the other women of color in my life. Yeah. I think that this is also an important thing to talk about because a lot of women are biracial and maybe they don't have a connection to one side or the other of their family. And it's like, I don't know if people talk about that experience enough as well. Right. If you do grow up with like one parent and like yourself, who is, you know, your white parent, and then you're like not around the other side of your culture, but that's still half of who you are, you know, Mm -hmm. like that's still half of your DNA, your makeup. And Like, what was it like growing up for you? Because I know you said that there was a little bit of tension for you there. Like, you were anxious to claim it. Like, what was that like as you were growing up? Yeah. So, it was interesting because we didn't speak to my dad, but I am very close to the rest of his family. So, like, grew up trick-or-treating with my Dominican cousins and, like, going to birthday parties and Christmas and all of this stuff. So, it's very much so part of my life. Mm -hmm. But also... There's just, and this is something that's been really interesting, especially the last couple of years. It stresses white people out when you don't meet their definitions of what like people of color or like what Latinas should be. Mm -hmm, (laughs) And mm -hmm. so like me showing up as really white and me not speaking Spanish fluently. I mean, I can get by in Spanish, but I'm not fluent. It like, I don't meet the white people's definition and growing up in a very white area, I've always felt like a fraud because I was like trying to prove myself to my fellow white people. Like, no, it's it's real. And like, there's a spectrum versus with all of the brown people in my life. It's like never an issue. Like, <laughs> they, yeah. you know, I remember having this conversation with my godfather, who's one of my Dominican uncles. And he was like, you're Dominican. He was like, this is a stupid conversation. I can't believe you waste time thinking about this. Like, you're Dominican. <laughs> it's like, yeah. no, you don't understand. So that was kind of the weird tension. But Now, and I have to say, like, it was hard because it was hard as a kid because my mom really didn't get it. And, like, frankly, I don't think she really cared. (laughs) She was like, there's no shade to my mom because we grew up really low income. And my mom 
didn't work for a while. And then we were on food stamps. And then she was going back to school to get her master's. And then she became a teacher. And she just had a lot going on in her mm-hmm. life. And I she's a single mom, like, right? Single mom. Yeah. And she was just like, I can't the, worry. They're about doing a identity. lot. <laughs> they're doing a lot, those single moms. My mom was also a single mom. Where did you grow up? On the East Coast? East Coast. I'm from Massachusetts originally. Okay. And I grew up in a very white town, but right next to a city that is predominantly, whose demographics have shifted from being a very like Western European immigrant city to now being a very Caribbean heavy immigrant city. And that's Mm. where my dad's side of the family lived. So it was also like I would leave the town I grew up in and go to the next city. And it was just like white brown, like the, (laughs) the, Mm -hmm. the demographics all around me, everything felt very kind of like segmented out into like, this is here and this is here and this is there. And this is, you can say this, but you can't say that. And you can claim this and you can't claim that. And I will say that just as an adult expanding my, I majored in college in critical race theory, which was awesome. And I really recommend it, but also tough to get a job. Um, (laughs) And then also just expanding my own kind of understanding of the history of race in America, the history of immigration, my own family's history on both sides, Mm -hmm. and engaging with lots of different communities has really helped me finally settle into this place where I'm like, I am biracial. I get to speak to certain things. I don't get to speak to other things. And that's fine. I don't Mm -hmm. need to speak to everything. I don't need to be the go-to voice on everything. I don't need to claim everything. It's actually easier to show up places when you can't claim everything because you have more energy. So (laughs) Yeah. No, I think that that's, again, that's like such an important part of this conversation about like racial identity and ethnic, like your ethnicity, like all of those things, I think get crossed a lot. But I think that there is both like a balance of accepting your privilege and being able to still identify with your cultural heritage, I think is still really important because, you know, as someone that's Asian, my experience is nowhere near going to be the same experience as someone that's black and grew up maybe in the same town as me outside of Chicago. And then also went to the university of Iowa. Like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yo, we definitely had different (laughs) experiences and I had, different privileges. I still have different privileges to this day. And again, it's just like why I want to have these conversations was like, how did you grow up? Like, did you feel pulled in one direction on your cultural identity than, and then the other? Like, you know, when you were growing up with your Dominican cousins in your family, was there any like confusion there within even your own family when you hung out with your dad's side? No, Not confusion. What's interesting is so colorism is like rampant in Latin America. And for anyone Mm -hmm. listening, color is basically a spectrum of like the lighter, the better, the darker, the worse in the way that we kind of approach people. And I have to be honest, like my dad's family can be hella racist, like can be super racist against dark skinned people. And the Dominican Republic shares an island with Haiti and the history there is very interesting and very fucked. And my grandparents immigrated from Dominican Republic in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. There was a dictator, Trujillo, and he, the dictator was obsessed with race and would wear makeup to lighten his skin and committed a genocide against Haitians and just really fucked up. And my grandparents, I'm like hitting my desk very quietly so it won't show up on the... (laughs) (laughs) But I'm like, my grandparents grew up in that and internalized, you know, like the lighter, the better. So Mm -hmm. my grandparents were thrilled when my dad brought home a white woman and were thrilled and are thrilled that they have three white grandchildren. Like to them, that is like my grandmother almost didn't marry my grandfather because she thought he was too dark. And yeah, and it was like a big thing. And I'm just like, in some ways, and this is like a thing I'm beginning to unpack now, I am my grandparents' like wildest dreams. I'm this American born here. I'm light-skinned. I have all of these opportunities that they never had. And like this is what in some this ways is this is what they, they struggled for. for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm also like, oh God, this is like a history of colonization and racism and this is fucked up. And I'm carrying all of this. But I'm also like, yeah, but like I have so much privilege. So Going back to your question, there was no discomfort. They love me. I love them. 
But the more that I kind of like got woke, the more I realized how Mm -hmm. problematic they could be about stuff. Yeah. And that's been really interesting because they don't think they're wrong. I mean, who? no one ever thinks they're wrong, right? Yeah. (laughs) So I would say as an adult now, we're beginning to have these kinds of conversations and it's interesting to see where everyone's kind of falling. Well, especially with colorism, you're right. Like it's super, it's like such an issue within Latin cultures, especially also for me in in like Filipino culture, because Filipinos can be like a really wide range. Like if you go to the Philippines or you see any advertisements or you watch Filipino movies, everyone's like hella like white, like really, really light. And they have things for you to dye your skin to like bleach it out. You know, there this colorism there in the Philippines is also an issue. And growing up, my family would always you know, be like, oh, like, don't get too dark. Like, Mm -hmm. why are you so dark? Like, stop being in the sun. My grandma wears like, you know, it's super hot in California and she's wearing like long sleeves and pants and is like Mm -hmm. holding an umbrella. She's like, don't like nothing touch me. Totally. Same with my grandma. (laughs) You know, and I share this with like so much love and I have totally schooled my grandparents on it. And they were like, oh, okay. Like they, we've like had the hard conversations about it. But I remember like, my high school prom date my senior year was like one of my best guy friends and he was black and my grandparents were like is that your boyfriend and i was like well what if it is my boyfriend he wasn't my boyfriend but i was like well what if it is my boyfriend like what do you have to say about it and they were like oh uh and i was like well i know what you wanted to maybe say about it so mm-hmm. and i like i had to have that conversation and it's really hard because older generations grew up in completely different times like your family your grandparents immigrated from the DR and immigrating to a new country after having been in one place for a long time, like there's a different set of obstacles and like healing and internalized racism that they had to deal with. And we, mm-hmm. as their, you know, I was gonna say like offspring, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not really descendants. Like, yeah, descendants. That's the word I want to use. Like we all get the privilege of being able to explore these topics being removed from their trauma, mm-hmm. which I find, you know, super interesting. And like I love hearing other people's thoughts about how they've like explored their heritage and the different dynamics of their family. Cause this is definitely not something I was doing six years ago with, you know, like when I was in college trying to like do other shit. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And it's something like you can only unpack as much as you know. And like my, Mm -hmm. um, so my grandfather and my dad moved here from DR in the 1970s, uh, like 1972. And then my grandmother and the rest of my aunts and uncles came over a couple years later. But my grandfather had to like flee the country. Like he was part of the resistance. Mm. Low key. He was not like no general or anything, but he, like, yeah. he was arrested. And after he was arrested, then my grandmother was like, we can't do this shit anymore. Like you need to leave. And he came over and like, I mean, just his experience going from being like living a good life in DR and mm-hmm. like fighting for his ideals and being a part of this to then coming here and being like nobody nowhere, you know, like with his one son trying to get the rest of the fam over. I'm just like, Oh my God, I can't relate to that. Like the hardest Mm. thing I've had to deal with is like my own bullshit, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's just, it's crazy. crazy. You want to have empathy and I do have empathy, but then you also are like, just because he went through this doesn't mean that he also doesn't have his bullshit around racism or like internalized, you know, whatever, whatever, or frankly, like sexism, like the gender roles that my family, my both sides of my family, my white family as well, believing in, I'm just like, "Mm, let's rethink that. Yeah. Well, what sparked your, you starting your business with like, it seems like there's probably a point where you kind of like something, you know, clicked in your head where you were like, wait a second, we need to be talking to women about finances. We need to be talking to everyone about the pay gap. Like, how did this transpire? Yeah. So like I said, I grew up pretty low income and didn't really have any money for all of my life. (laughs) And then I went to college and took out loans and I also had a scholarship. But when I graduated, I had this degree in English, concentration in critical race theory. And it was 2011, you know, it was 
the aftermath of the recession. And so everyone was Mm -hmm. like, STEM or bust? Like, we don't want to hire you. So I waited tables for the first three years out of school. And, you know, some waitresses can make a bank, but like, not me at Cypress Grill in Austin, Texas. Like, (laughs) I was not making very much money. Um, It's south off of William Cannon. Okay. I actually don't know if it's still open. I mean, I hope so, given COVID. Totally. The food was actually awesome, but I didn't make very much money. Like the first three years out of school, I made between like $16,000 and $20,000 a year after taxes. And with that, you just can't do anything. Like you can't, I couldn't pay off my student loans. I couldn't invest. I couldn't even really save. I had like a little bit of money in savings. And basically when I was 26, I was like, oh my God, not knowing anything about money and not having any money is the single hardest thing about my life. Like it is ruining my life (laughs) to not have any money and to not know what to do with the money I have coming in. Mm -hmm. And I looked around and like all of the people that were succeeding had money from their parents, like frankly, and my mom has never been able to do that. And, you know, I was living with someone whose parents would send her $1,500 a month so that she could just like And she worked as like a barista, but I'm just like, so, but like all your needs are taken care of and I'm never going to have that. Like I have to figure this out for myself Mm -hmm. if I want to stop living this way. And after I paid off my debt and did start investing, I was looking around, I was blogging just for fun about it. And really there was no one talking to lower income people. There was no one talking to single women. There was no one talking from a intersectional point of view. Like this was like 2014, 2015. And in the personal finance world, it was very much so like very rich white people in tech who were like, I'm going to retire early because I make mm-hmm. $300,000 a year. And then it was super frugal people who also were making good money, you know, like 70, 80K a year. And I was making $16,000 a year. I was like, so I'm going to write from my perspective. And then Bravely kind of grew out of me thinking, I'm not seeing all of this stuff. I'm interested in this. I guess I'll just be the place that we talk about it. And it's evolved since then. And now we have a much clearer mission. But that's how we were born, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the story of our birth. Well, like, what is your mission now as it's grown? So I was just making a little video. And I was saying like, Bravely's mission is to help you change your money so that your money can change the world. I very much so believe that individual change is great. And it's also not the solution that we need. Like we need systemic change in order to improve everyone's finances. But the more that we as individuals, like the less I stress about my personal finances, the more I can call my senators, the more I can like march in the streets, right? Like hundred percent. The less time I spend worrying about all of my own shit and my debt and my college debt, Mm -hmm. the more you can actually help other people in your community. So yeah, sorry, keep going. Yeah. And so that's exactly it. But also I never want to say anything along the lines of like, If I did it, you can do it. Or like personal responsibility. That phrase drives me up a fucking wall. (laughs) It's understanding that everything I'm teaching you at Bravely is really a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. Like budgeting is awesome and everyone should do it. And it's very powerful on an individual level. But also, if you're going to be budgeting, you need to be voting. You need to be protesting. You need to be whatever, whatever. Like you need to be doing the work on a systemic level as well. So that's where we're at now. Mm, wow, I love that. And this is something that you just like you, at 2020. 2020. Okay. I'd been thinking about it for a while, but I couldn't figure out how to put it into my messaging in a way that people would resonate with and that frankly would allow me to pay my bills. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. not an activist. You know, I'm not a social justice like Instagram page. Like, I'm a business. And so I needed to kind of. I need to, I need to continue to walk this line between like existing in a capitalist society myself and also being like, fuck capitalism. Yeah. And that is a hard place. But 2020, as we've all been through, has really thrown open the doors to conversations about economic inequality, about racial injustice. And people are really much more open to having these conversations. And I think existing in the gray space than they Mm -hmm. were even a year ago. And that's really allowed us to thrive. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, 2020 opened through open the doors for many things, I think. Yes. <laughs> and 
especially with money and finances, it's always been a taboo topic, right? No one really wants to talk about how much money they're making like ever. A lot of my friends now do like we talk about it a little bit more because I think it helps us a ask for raises where I'm like, whoa, what? Like you're making this much. And like, you know, it just is helpful to get the more information I feel like that I have, the easier it is for me to advocate for myself in certain ways. And like, same goes for some of my other friends. And so with money and financial, I don't know what, know how, Mm -hmm. like, let's say you're in a place where you don't really know what to do about anything. Like you're Mm -hmm. like, fuck my finances. I don't know what to do about that. Where do you think people should start? The number one place everyone should start, no matter what, is with tracking your spending. And this is easy to do. You just, you know, write down everything you spend or you log in to your credit card or your debit card to see, okay, I went to the grocery store. I went to a restaurant. I paid for an Uber or whatever it is. And you just add it all up and categorize it. So you understand I spent $200 on groceries. I spent $100 on ride shares. I spent... 500 bucks on rent. So now you understand of these categories, which are totally essential, like rent, healthcare, childcare, essentials, and which are more flexible. Uber's more flexible. Maybe I could have walked, maybe I could have gotten a carpool, yada, 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 right? Mm -hmm. And then the question becomes, how much do I want to spend on each of these? Like, do I want to move so I can pay less in rent? Or do I want to trade in my Lamborghini so I can get a Honda Fit and not be paying, (laughs) you know, so much in car payments anymore. That's like the real work. But the number one step is to just figure out what you're working with. Do you find that people that you work with are scared to do that? Yes. I'd also say people are, they just avoid it because it can be To get a like really good understanding, you should really do that for at least three months. Mm -hmm. And man, you don't realize how often you like swipe a card until you go back and try and add up every purchase. And you're like, this is just a lot of work. This is like three hours of work that I don't particularly want to do. So people just avoid it. Yeah. Oh, you can add (laughs) me to that category. I've never, I've never really been that great with money until I started thinking about it way more than I ever had before. You know, Mm -hmm. like, Growing up, my family didn't really talk about it very much. Like my mom was like, get a scholarship, go to college. It's like, okay. And then no one ever talked to me about anything else after that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like big picture. What are like credit cards? Like, how do you do any of those things? And I know a lot of mm-hmm. other people that are women of color that have gotten into debt because their families weren't having these types of conversations. Their families didn't teach them anything about investing. And a lot of that comes from, you know, or different backgrounds and other factors, obviously, as well. But like you get thrown into quote unquote adulthood in the real world with like no fucking basis on what to do with your money or like how to pay, you know, your $35,000 in college debt. Yeah. And that's often like your parents might not have known, like your mom might not have known Mm -hmm. (laughs) more so like the details of it because probably no one talked to her about it. Right. Especially when you are the children or the grandchild of immigrants. And like when you come to a new country, there's a whole new financial system and you might just learn kind of the basics. Like I opened a bank account. I know how to save. And you might not be super down to be like, let me figure out this stock market shit. You know, you're like, I got to get my green card. I got things to do. And then you can't pass that on to your kids and then they can't pass that on to their kids, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of how we end up with this generational lack of knowledge that other families, for whatever reason, whether it's because they were born here or they, you know, all sorts of privilege might be playing into this, but they have that knowledge. And so it's easier for their kids to get into the money game. And so it's just, ah, it's just a hot mess out there, which is why I do what I do. All right. All birds. Y'all, I have to tell you about them because not only do they make the world's most comfortable shoes using natural materials, they care about their community. And that is so refreshing. Recently, they asked me to join their global community of changemakers called the All Good Collective. And I'm so proud to be a part of it. I am 
part of this group with a couple of other people you might recognize, like Leah Thomas, who's the founder of Intersectional Environmentalist, Lisa, who's the founder of the sustainable fashion brand Mian Studios, and so many other amazing people that are doing really awesome things in their communities. Part of Albert's focus this year has been to empower their own members by elevating our voices, our work, and our stories. They really are on a mission to do things right. And if you'd like to check out the work of the other All Good Collective members, visit community.allbirds.com for upcoming events online and in real life. You can also follow them on social media at Allbirds. But I'm going to give you a chance to seriously try out a pair of Allbirds with our monthly giveaway. So make sure you stick around until the end of the episode to find out how you can win a pair of Allbirds and see for yourself how freaking amazing they are and know that I'm truly, genuinely a fan. All right, back to the episode. Let's talk 2020. I know that money has probably been on a lot of people's minds. <laughs> In 2020, there's been job loss, job changes, you know, all sorts of shit went down this year. Yes. What should people be doing? I don't know. Mm-hmm. That that's like a hard question. So excuse me for that. But like, I don't even know. Like, do you have advice about finances for 2020? I know that you're doing that reviewing your 2020 budget. I don't know if you talk about that at all. Yeah, this is a free event for anyone who wants to listen. You can find it at my Instagram, which is at we bravely go. And it's in Lincoln bio. It's always at the Lincoln bio, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. And I'll, I'll link it in the show notes too. Perfect. Yeah. And so that event will be a budget review. So you have to have data. You have to have looked at your numbers. Otherwise, you won't really get anything out of this event. But (laughs) if you are listening to this and you're like, 2020 has been a dumpster fire, but I want to end on a high, I think the one thing that everyone can do is review their numbers, like I said. But I also think one of the best things you can do is understand how your priorities might have changed. Like you said, like 2020 has been a lot. Mm-hmm. And we've all, I think most of us have changed a lot as people. Like certainly I started 2020 a very different person from who I am right now. And my priorities have changed. Like I was just talking to my partner about money and I was like, I'd really like to be able, like something that I'm thinking about a lot as a white person who owns my own business and can work from home. I've been very lucky in the pandemic. I was like, it would be awesome to donate an entire month of my salary to, I was thinking Black Lives Matter, but I also found this group. I cannot remember. I think it's called Sister Song. It's based in Dallas and it is organized by black women to help black women get abortions. And I was like, yeah, that sounds dope. (laughs) And if I could give like $4,000, That's something that I can do as a white person to like give up some of my privilege. And like, Mm -hmm. I am not rich. Like giving up a month of my salary, I'm like stressed thinking about it. And that's something I never would have even considered in January 2020 because I was very much so like, I have to secure my bag. (laughs) Like I got just now... I just have to say, like, the George Floyd uprisings, I was like, oh, shit, like, this is deep and white people need to get real comfortable being uncomfortable. And that giving up my salary is something that makes me uncomfortable. So Mm -hmm. going back to what people can do and not just talking about me is think about your priorities and how you may have changed. And if they're the same as they were a year ago, if you do want to give more, if you want to give less, if you've lost a job, if you are moving, you know, whatever, whatever, align your financial goals with your personal goals and with your personal values. So if you do want to give more, you know, you might say, we're not going to eat out for a month so that we can donate that hundred bucks instead. Or if you're like, we lost a job, we're not donating shit for the next year while we make up what we lost. That's all fine. That is interesting because even though people have changed so much during 2020, I don't know how frequently we like rethink about our priorities. Mm -hmm. You know, you're kind of like doing this. It's like, Definitely different things are going on, but like same shit, different day. It's like, at what point do you like look at your finances and you're like, oh yeah, like 
all these things have shifted and changed for us, whether it's like job loss or job change, or you move or you move in with your parents and stuff. It's like, how often do you reevaluate your budget and your goals and look toward the future? I think a lot of people are just kind of like moving on the day to day. Yeah, totally. I think it's hard for people to reevaluate their values, especially because A, it feels like we never have any fucking time to do anything. And two, you might, we become so accustomed to an identity that we have and we're not taught to challenge that or to criticize ourselves, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And that I would say is becoming more and more the norm. Like we're living in this ever increasingly polarized place where inquiry is seen as attack. Or even just saying like, oh, that's not been my experience is an attack on someone else's experience, (laughs) even though it's not. And so it can be hard to turn that into ourselves to say like, do I still believe what I believed a year ago? Do I still want to hang out with the same people that I was hanging out with a year ago or five years ago, whatever it is. But that's growth, baby. And I think like asking yourself, the way I'm living, is that the way I want to be living is a really good starting point. Growth. Growth, baby. <laughs> I like to be like, <laughs> that's it, right? I mean, again, it's just crazy. Like every single time I have a conversation with someone on this podcast, like I think it's pretty evident that we can all see how everything in our lives are interconnected. Our money is connected with how we care for the community. Our community care is interconnected with like our self-development and our inner work that we're doing. It's connected to our creativity. It like all is one giant like symbiotic situation happening. And the more we continue to think about how these things are all piecing together to create us and like how we move through the world, I think the better off that we will be. And you mentioned just now that inquiry can also ignite like this feeling of being defensive. Do you feel like it's hard for people to be curious or like to have different opinions in this current climate? Yeah, I do. I find myself, so I used to say all the time, I actually disagree with you. (laughs) Like that was something I used to (laughs) say to people all the time. And I no longer say that because people get really pissed or they shut down. Like people can't hear that anymore. And someone can disagree with you. That's not them attacking you. That's not, it's not inherently a bad thing, but we can't hear that anymore. And I think over the last four years in the United States, given who the president has been, that has gotten worse. But I also think with social media, with how connected we all are, like the biological part of being a human tells us in group, out group, like humans since day one have been like, these are my people. That's not my person. That's how we are. And we're clinging to that even as our world has evolved so much to move beyond that. Like there's no reason we don't have universal healthcare and universal housing in the United States. We can afford it. We can do it. We have the means, but something in our brain, something in millions of Americans' brains says, no, like in order for me to have a house, someone must not have a house. That's the only way this works. And that is something that keeps me up at night. <laughs> I don't have the answer for how to fix that. But I do think either. we should all get better at, at just talking to ourselves, whether that's literally or figuratively, about why we believe what we believe and what is telling us to believe that. I think the more we can kind of interrogate our own influences and beliefs and biases, I think the more of a chance we have at tearing down some of the things that currently divide us. I love that. (laughs) Thank you. I do. I agree with you. (laughs) That's what I spend my time thinking about. And then I make my Instagram memes and I'm like, "Ah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I think what you do is super engaging for the reason that it's easy to understand. It's relatable. And you're still talking about hard subjects. And I think that's what makes your platform great and to me successful and like why people really resonate with what you do. I would love to give maybe like just a couple of other 
pieces of finance advice. So we talked about like budgeting and like how to start looking at your money, which obviously is super important. That's first step is examining what you're spending your money on and like where it goes. So let's say debt. I think, again, I've talked to a lot of women of color and just, I mean, obviously women in general, a lot of us have debt from college, you know, maybe people had to take out loans Mm -hmm. for college and things like that, or they had to take money out on their credit card. And again, this current climate kind of fucks with everyone's money a little bit. So what are like three things that someone can do in terms of like tackling debt? Yeah. So again, the first thing you're going to have to do is figure out who you owe what. So if you know you have student loans, but you know you have like six different student loans and you're not sure like how much is left on each one, you have to figure that out and you have to figure out the interest rate. So go in and organize your debt, pop into a spreadsheet and just list it out, you know, credit card one, credit card two, student loan one, two, three, four, auto loan, whatever. That's always step one. Can't change anything unless you know what you're working with. Step two would be to figure out how much money you have to put towards paying off debt. So that's why it's so important to be spending or to be tracking your spending in other areas of your life so that you know, I make $3,000 a month, I spend $2,000 a month. That means I have an extra thousand for whatever, saving or debt payoff, right? And then the third step is to figure out which debt you want to apply that extra money to. Do you want to divide that $1,000 across all six of your student loans? Do you want to focus on one at a time? Like what works for you? So those are kind of the three big picture steps. And do you think that people should even be saving money if they have debt still? Oh, for sure. Like 100%. I think, you know, kind of the common refrain you see in the world of personal finances, you should have a $1,000 emergency fund while paying off debt and then put everything else towards debt. Obviously, like I've been saying for years, that's not enough (laughs) because I come from a low-income background and I know what it's like. If you have an emergency, most emergencies, $1,000 doesn't go very far. It's 2020, baby. Like the world is expensive. Anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. It's basically like having a hundred bucks, which sounds insane to anyone who's listening to this probably, but like shit adds up. Like most people's rent is well over $1,000. So if you only have $1,000, you're like, oh, I can't even afford to live here. right? Mm -hmm. And so 2020 has definitely shown us that $1,000 in saving is not enough. So I think before you pay off debt, you should aim to save, you know, one to two months worth of living expenses. So if that is $2,000, really you should have at least $4,000 saved before you start getting aggressive about the debt. Because like if your car breaks down, if you have to find a new place to live, if a window breaks, if the dishwasher breaks, like that can be $1,500 real quick and Mm -hmm. you're going to need it. Uh, Like my car broke down once on 35, which is the highway here in Austin for anyone listening. And it was August and I just had to sit there in my fucking car. It was 102 degrees. (laughs) I was like, oh God. And I had to pay for a tow truck and then I had to pay for two new parts and it was like 900 bucks. And I had the cash, thank God. But that was just one small moment. Yeah. One moment in life. Imagine if that happened and then your dog ate something and had to go to the vet and now it's 900 on the car, 900 on the dog, 1800 bucks. Literally gives me actual pain because (laughs) it's taken me so long to try to learn more about finances and like, you know, what the fuck to do, you know? And so I ask these questions for like other people that have felt like they're in similar situations and it sucks. Like, especially in a year where everything is so unpredictable, a lot of people probably don't even know if they're going to have a job tomorrow or next month. What if there's a shutdown? Like what the fuck's going to happen? Like there's just so much money uncertainty and financial instability that I think it's so important to create some sort of safety net for yourself during this time. Do you have any other pieces of advice for anyone that's like thinking about how to create that safety net and like basically get their money right this year? Yeah. 
I think the number one thing is so much of the world of personal finance tries to shame you into being better with money. Like the biggest name in personal finance is arguably Dave Ramsey, who's this old white Christian dude who just yells at people all the time. And he's a real dick and I don't like him at all. (laughs) He is super, he relies on shame. And it's just like, Mm. can you not, bro? Can you not for one second? And I think rather than putting even a single second of energy into feeling ashamed that you're not moving as fast or you're not doing as well as other people, instead, you know, as Missy said, flip it and reverse it and feel good and proud of yourself for making any progress. Like saving 50 bucks a month, saving five bucks a week, whatever it is, that's always going to be better than saving zero. So don't feel bad that you're not saving 500. Be super fucking proud of yourself that you saved 50. (laughs) Can people hear my clapping? I don't know. I don't know if that translates well on podcast episodes, but maybe it will. I think so. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I mean, just like I said, I wanted to just talk some like basic money things. Like money is so complicated and everyone should check out what you're doing, which I love. You have that free workshop on, did you say the 14th? Yes. December 14th. Okay. And then you have an investing workshop on the 17th. Oh, my last question. Wait, before I forget. Holiday fucking spending. <laughs> yes. Hold on. Because this is going to get released in December. And I'm sure some people are going to listen to this before they start like throwing dollars down for mm-hmm. gifts. What are your thoughts about holiday spending and like how not to like go over the edge? Because I have so many family members, mm-hmm. like straight up. Philip, there's many Filipinos. So yeah. big families, big families. Yeah. I think this year. We all kind of have a fabulous out, which is like coronavirus. You know, (laughs) if you don't want, or you literally can't, or you just don't want to spend a ton of money around the holidays, I think pick up the phone, call your mom, call your auntie, you know, call your tia, whatever you got to do, and be like, hey, I love you so much. 2020 has been a really hard year. Y'all know it's been hard for everybody. I can't do the same kind of holidays as normal this year because it hasn't been a normal year. Like no one is going to hear that and be like, um, mm, excuse me, you know, give me a gift. Right. Like most people, (laughs) 99% of people are going to be like, totally. I completely understand. Like, what can you do? What do you want to do? And so then it's up to you to be like, I have opted out of Christmas in the past. My family, I'm Catholic on both sides. So for me, it's Christmas or like, you might not have to do a full opt out, but you might say like, instead of $50 per person, I'm doing 20, you know, like find, again, this is why it's so important to run your numbers. I feel like a broken record, but like knowing your numbers is so important (laughs) because if you know, oh, I only have $300 to spend and I have to buy for 30 people, (laughs) you've got 10 bucks per person, you know? Yeah. Um, So I think just taking this year as an opportunity to communicate with your family, especially, and I know it can be hard if you've never talked about money with your family before, especially to older members of your family, like your parents or your aunts and uncles, it might be like a respect thing or like a generational thing where you just don't do that. I understand it can be hard, but I think go broad. You don't have to be like, look at how fucking broke I am. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. can just be like, hey, we're not coming home because of coronavirus. How about instead of sending gifts like you know, we all start saving for like summer 2021 when we can all be together and we'll do Christmas then or something, you know, like buy yourself a little time, get creative, think through what you can do, get creative and just be really broad with your family if it makes you really uncomfortable. That is a great tip. That's like a whole nother conversation. I know. Talking to family about money. I mean, we could have like a three hour podcast about that. <laughs> Seriously, we could have like a five part workshop on <laughs> talking to your family about money all the things. Well, the very last question I always ask is, are there any women of color that are inspiring you? Yes. My number one is always Cardi B. I know (laughs) like no one's perfect. I get that. But like, I love Cardi. I think she walks a really great line between being, you know, a musician and a public figure and being someone who uses her platforms in activist type of way. So I'm forever team Cardi B. I'm also forever team Oprah, who's also can be a problematic fave. (laughs) But then on kind of like a smaller 
more local level, you know, our joint friend Kiona is someone that I learn a lot from and someone that I also like, I don't always like 100% agree with Kiona. It's not just like everything she does, like, hell yeah. Sometimes I'm like, hmm, I'm gonna have to think about that one. But I love that. Like, I love that she presents herself really unambiguously and clearly, but she also, I do feel like she leaves the door open for people to converse with her like politely and respectfully, not just like you're a dumb bitch, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and so she's someone that I, I literally, I have a whiteboard in my office and I have a list of five businesses that I admire. And so she's on there. And then another woman of color that's on there is Aminatu Sao, who is the co-host of the Call Your Girlfriend podcast that I've been listening mm-hmm. to for years. She's a black woman and I find her very inspiring. That's awesome. I need to listen to Call Your Girlfriend more. I like I've listened to a few episodes, but I should get into it. And I know that they just released a book this year mm-hmm. too about female friendships. Is yes. that right? Did you read it already? I haven't read it yet. I'm waiting for it to come out in paperback. Like, no lie. I can't. I'm like hardcover. It's like 25 <laughs> bucks. Excuse me, so. hardcover. No, I'm <laughs> I'm with you on that one. But also, Kiona, I also admire her for the same exact reason because The thing about Kiona that I love and I'm very jealous of because it's something that I'm typically scared to do is she like says what she thinks. Like she's actually saying her opinion. She's not like on one side or the other. She like presents herself as a complicated multidimensional human being that has many different thoughts and ideas, but she's also down to change those ideas. If you come to her with having a nice conversation where you guys have an open dialogue. And I respect that so much, Mm -hmm. like unreal, like the work that she does, I just think is so niche. Like I've never seen anyone like that. And you know, when she does that stuff on her platform, when she like talks about certain topics or subjects, like she really is opening herself up and therefore she gets like, sometimes she gets a lot of backlash and like, she just has the resilience and the strength that uh, is seriously amazing. And y'all should- Check her out if you haven't. But she was also the first guest on this podcast. So yeah, I was gonna say I'd be like, she's not on the show. <laughs> I was like, she's already been on the show. And I just again love love what she does and respect her so much. She was also on my my top. I don't have a top five, but if if I had one, she would Dude, totally make be on a it. list. It's so great. Now I look over at my whiteboard and I'm just like, look at these badass bitches. I'm gonna be a badass bitch, and it like truly <laughs> helps me. It helps me stay in touch with like the the values and the ethics of what I'm trying to do, as well as help me understand like you can build a business in many ways. I don't have to be. I don't want to be the next. Amazon, the next Oprah. Like, I don't have to do these things. I can do other things. Here are Mm -hmm. people who are doing things in their own way. And that's always inspirational. Yeah, it definitely is. Oh, I love that one. That's good. (laughs) Perfect note to end on. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. I seriously appreciate you spending the time to come and chat with me, give us some financial advice, talk about all these different things that are, you know, personal to you and your experience. And I think that a lot of people will resonate with it. So I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. This has been just a delightful conversation. Okay, that was our episode with Kara. And hopefully you guys wrote down some tips and tricks on how to get your money right before we head into 2021. Before you start buying presents for all your aunties and uncles and cousins. Like I never thought about just being upfront and honest with my family and being like, Hey, like, can we cut down on the gifts? I'm not much of a gift person. I don't really care that much. Like I'm cool without gifts. That's cool. I don't know. I think I'd rather just get something random when you think of me like any time in the year than at the specific time. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm on like gift overload because my birthday is two days after Christmas. But anyway, well, I hope you guys liked this episode. And again, please DM me your thoughts about like being a woman of color and identifying with that phrase. Um, with that string of words, because I would love to hear what you think. But before we go, I want to let y'all know, like I said, it's my birthday month and we're giving away a free pair of Allbirds. And here's what you got to do. 
leave a review on iTunes for the podcast. It doesn't have to be super long, but once you do that, just shoot me a DM so I know that you did it and you'll automatically be entered to win. So for example, Vital Becoming wrote, new favorite podcast, Amazing Stories. As I dig deeper into my own personal work, finding In Bold's podcast has been a gem. Christina finds amazing women of all backgrounds and shares their unique and wonderful stories. And there are so many podcasts to listen to these days, but this one is truly special. Thank you, Victoria. You're the best. And then something else, another review that we've gotten, which I'm sharing these so you guys know like what y'all can say and hopefully you feel the same way. But Kaya wrote, this one makes it onto my list. There are so many wellness related podcasts out there and it's hard to find one that resonates. Inbold Company checks all of my boxes, real, raw, informative, and new information that I actually find helpful. And this one gets added to the rotation. What a fucking gem. Love her. Uh, shout out to Kaya. And yeah, I would love to hear what your thoughts are genuinely about the podcast. So please do that. And I forgot to mention earlier in the podcast that I am teaching a workshop with Ethel's Club, a three-part workshop about exploring your cultural identity that starts this Thursday. So today that this is being released is December 1st, and we're doing our first part of the workshop on December 3rd at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. <laughs> forgot for a second, but... You can find it in the show notes if you're an Alphas Club member or if you're interested in trying it out. Go ahead and sign up for one of their free seven-day trials and hopefully I will see you there. All right, y'all. Ciao.